Welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. This is a podcast about the everyday experience of being a social worker. You're with Mim and Liz, and we're looking forward to sharing some stories with you. Welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. Uh, We're really pleased you've joined us for our first episode, which is our pilot episode. My name's Mim Fox, and I'm your host, along with the wonderful Liz Murphy. Why, thank you, Mim Fox. It's (laughs) lovely to be here. I'm very excited to be joining you on yet another adventure. It is very exciting to finally be here having these conversations, Liz. And I think for our listeners, we should maybe let them know a little bit about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Sure. So this podcast is aimed at uh, understanding the everyday experience of the social work practitioner. You and I have had a lot of conversations, Liz, over the years about what it means to be a social worker in the everyday, would mm. you say? I think so. I think so. And and often the unsung heroes of the world really in my mind uh, the practitioner um, we often don't get to hear them and their stories that's right it's often it's like I often think of the magic behind the curtain Uh, the invisible magician who's standing there making it all happen and yet in times of trauma you can guarantee that a family would never even be able to remember that they saw a social worker so true Yeah, very true. So I think it's those stories that's really important to get out there, but also the inner workings of the social worker, how they struggle with their everyday dilemmas, with uh, how to put their ethics, morals, skills into practice, and why they do what they do. Mm, mm. It's not an easy job. Interested in that one? (laughs) No, it's not at all. God knows we don't do it for the pay either. Well, that's right. But I think um, I I really like that idea of the person in the role. And understanding, like you say, their motivation, but who they are, who they are. And I also want to see what they're like when the table's turned on them. Yeah. When we actually ask them curious questions about why they do what they do and unpack it more. That's what I'm really interested about. Yeah, it's sometimes hard to get social workers to be honest oh, in that way. At it. They really are. And they get a bit protective of the professional self. Uh, and I think uh, one of the things we've talked about wanting to do on this podcast is give social workers some anonymity to actually give them the freedom to be able to say, well, actually, this is what I was really thinking about in that moment. Mm. This is what I was looking for. This is where my priorities lay. Or these are the struggles I was having. Mm. I think you're right. I think that whole idea, and I don't know who came up with that one, but to actually encourage them to be anonymous in it was a stroke of genius. And I think it will free up a lot of the the people that we speak with. I think so too. Yeah, so that they can be more candid. Yeah, I think candid's really important because social workers are constrained every day. I mean, the organisations they're working with the laws and policies they're working within, the rules, professional rules around how we are with our clients, how we are with each other. Um, I think really it's actually uh, sometimes so restrictive that social workers can be a bit scared, to be honest. True. And Mim, I think the title, Mm -hmm. I like that idea of stories coming into the title of podcast because we 
swim in stories every day of our lives. And sometimes I know I've gone home and I've thought, oh my God, that is one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard. And I will be the only person in the world that's ever heard that. Yeah. And so everyone must feel that as a social worker, right? And so this is an opportunity for them to share with others, you know, yeah. those special stories. And I know you're really keen or we're really keen for social work students to be our audience. Yes. And my mum and dad. Of course. But I'm, in my wildest dreams, I think it could also be really interesting for the non-social work person. Because some of these stories, I think, are, you know, that you would have, you would probably hear people say, oh, that can't be right. Yes. That can't be right. Yeah. You'd think you'd, people might think we dramatise the stories. Mm. You know, we dreamed them up somehow and made them more interesting or yeah. more tragic you know, but actually that's the real everyday experience of social work because we get to the nitty gritty with people. Yeah. We see them at their most vulnerable, at their most distressing. And I'm always wondering how and why do we do that? <laughs> like it's such an odd choice. Mm. But what's, I think one of the things with this podcast, what we're hoping to do is a bit of a combination of um, ways of delving into these stories. So one of the ways is that, Liz, you and I are going to sit here and really debate and analyse what is happening around us, what we're seeing, what we've learnt from our experiences, um, situations that we've had that have posed questions or resonated. But what we're also going to do is something we like to call case study walks, where um, we're going to interview uh, social workers in their practice, in the setting, as they're approaching a case or thinking through a case and um, we're going to ask them some questions about their process, get them to reflect and analyse on the work that they're doing. After that, you and I are going to come back to the listeners and do a real debrief, really get to the heart of why that was meaningful for us um, and what we might have learnt from that or what others might have learnt. Mm. Yeah, and that's the bit I'm really looking forward to. As oh, well. me too. Me too. Mm. And I'm really excited about our first interview, actually. I am as well, actually, because both you and I have worked in um, acute hospital settings. We've both done on call. So we've both been there in the middle of the night with families in distress. Mm. We do need to do a little bit of a disclaimer. I think before we do this because we're about to hear from an ICU social worker who has uh, been in a situation with a child death and if um, if that's a difficult thing for our listeners to hear I think they probably need to know up front that that's the story they're going to go into so please take care listeners um, we wouldn't be social workers if we didn't say that Liz no that's right <laughs> and on to the person in the role mm. I've had the privilege of knowing this person for many, many years and she's what I call a master. Yeah. She'd hate me saying this. Um, As all social workers would. True that. It, absolutely true. And she completely downplays her, her skills at times. But she is a master and I'd like for us to um, spend more time with her at another time, really drilling down on some of the courageous conversations that she carries out day in, day out, mm. and actually hear her language these conversations in a way that I know our students, our new grads, people like myself, will be actually writing down yes. quotes that roll out of her mouth incredibly easily. And I see that you and I will probably want to highlight some of those 
those points in in a, in a later interview. Yeah, definitely. Perhaps. I think that would be great. And that's the beautiful thing actually about doing this podcast is that we can have a social worker giving an example of the work they do, but then we've also got the set forum and the setting to be able to go into de- in depth with them mm. at a later point, which is great. One of the things you've just said is about social work students. And I do want to say that one of the um, big things we want to do with this podcast is make it an arm for social work education. We want students to be able to listen to the stories that get told and be able to imagine themselves in that moment and be able to ask the questions that they would want to ask of the social worker in the moment, not later on, not after it's been done and dusted, but in that moment. So to that end, we're uh, recruiting social work students to work with us on the podcast and to undertake the case studies. And today we wanted to really thank Justin, one of our social work students who's on placement with us at the moment. As we all know, social work students do it rough on placement, but Justin had the fantastic opportunity to meet with this social worker and have this discussion. And um, we're gonna come back to you after the case study walk and have a bit of a debrief and an analysis. We'd like to introduce our first anonymous social worker to you. Let's hear what she has to say. Has there been any big story that ever that's really impacted the way that you've worked? So I've got a, two cases. One was with a little three-year-old boy who I was on call that night and came into the emergency department. The family were having an Australia Day party and um, he had unfortunately slipped into the pool and had drowned. Mm. And it was just terrible, absolutely terrible. They brought him into the emergency department in another large hospital I was working at and um, they were trying to resuscitate him and just the overwhelming grief of the parents was just something that I think always sticks with you Um, and just really having to just work out what my role was in that Um, and obviously the role was caring for the parents um, supporting them through watching the resuscitation um, helping to explain what they were doing while the doctors were trying to resuscitate him Um, and just just when the doctors pronounced him dead it was just like truly awful but then the baton is handed over to you so everyone else steps away and then it's handed over to social work to support the family and also discuss all the coronial things as well so there was a coronial inquiry in Mm. this instance as well of course yeah Um, i guess that's that sounds like in that moment really you know everyone else is doing their role but you're able to be there for that family and for those parents and walk them through probably the worst night of their life Mm. um and I guess just be a presence for them somebody that was there to kind of look after them emotionally and practically and meet their needs that's incredible and also that very strong advocacy role because the police turned up and really supporting the parents through explaining that the process again of how he ended up in the swimming pool and and just their um you know they had asked other people to watch him and other people hadn't watched him and then someone had left the gate open and their guilt around what if we hadn't had that party Mm. he would wouldn't be you know wouldn't have died and I just always remember his mum saying I couldn't even get him to preschool he was starting preschool next week and so I think 
supporting a family through that and helping them to just sort of like be with him and to advocate that they needed more time to spend with him because the police are you know usually very empathetic but they also had a role to get on with and they wanted him to be transferred over to the coroners and just sort of having to advocate that they needed to spend time with him and then communicating with their um with the colleagues over at the coroner's court so they could facilitate handprints and locks of hair but yeah no it's one of those cases because I have a nephew who was exactly the same age at that time so you are always mindful of um what families go through when when you sort of like got little kids around of similar age and how what do you do to sort of disassociate from that because it's it is quite a, a bit of transference So, Mim, what a poignant story. I know. Oh, wow. It took me back to emergency work and how difficult it is when a child comes in who dies. And, like, I just, I see her in that room with that family. She's standing there with the parents who must be just absolutely traumatized and god knows what they were doing but she would have physically been there and present and maybe even holding them and explaining everything that was going on at the time that their baby was being worked on on that table but mim for me that the moment would have been when they actually declared that baby has died yes and so there's that silence and then she says And then the baton gets passed over. And this is where her work really begins. Yeah. In some regards, like, you know what I mean? Like, she would have been standing there with them, bearing witness to what Justin said would have been the worst moment of their life ever. And she's got to sit with that with them. The rest of the team get to walk away. I know, it really is a passing of the baton, isn't Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Your turn now, social worker. Right. You've been part of the recess, but now you're also part. Mop it up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the work that most of that team would never even see. No. Don't you reckon? I remember the first time it happened to me. I just remember staying there going, what, what, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm here and you're all out probably having a to leave. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's true. And but it's such important work oh, that I yeah. know would have been done there. Absolutely. With them. So there was that moment for me, just visualizing that. And then the other moment was that image of this social worker carving out space for that for those parents to have more time with their baby. Remember she said, I had to actually the police had to take the child yes. to the coroner's. Now, she knew that she had to carve out a bit more time for that, that the mother and father mm. because this is probably going to be the last time that they ever see their baby without 
having had a postmortem. So That's the baby's right. going to look different. The baby will look different. And it's only the social worker that has that insight, actually, to what's coming for this family. Yes. The family have no idea. Yes, and having to remind the police, who of course would have been incredibly sensitive to the idea of, well, you know, a child's died. Yes. Who's not moved by that? But um, the police so aren't thinking all those steps ahead. True. Which the social worker has to be. Yes. The social worker is the only one who knows the journey that's coming. Even if the police have seen it in different ways, they have deadlines, they have different priorities in that moment yeah but the social worker's priority is the well-being of that mother and father and you're so right about that seeing it in a different way she would have been looking down the barrel of those that husband and wife or partners their grief process that's the other thing that'd be going through a head right you know I need to actually do certain things so that this grief is not going to be further complicated that's exactly right Mm. that's exactly right and that's um, without being too much of a teacher in the moment, that's actually where the theory comes into play, right? Yeah. That the social worker is operationalising what they know about grief and loss. Yeah? And so it's playing out in a sense where they're actually advocating, but they're actually opening the door for a future emotional journey that these people are going to be on. It's, actu- it's actually quite powerful work that they're doing just in that moment of decision-making. I loved um, what you just said, Liz, about physically holding them and what it made me think was that one of the taboos we still have in social work as a profession is around physical touch and students are always asking when is it okay to touch your clients is it never okay is it sometimes okay what if they reach and touch me what if they do this what if they do that it's always that point of argument or um, conflict and Often it ends up being, well, maybe if the social worker's a touchy-feely person, maybe they touch the person. Or if you don't touch um, clients as a social worker, it's because you're not a touchy-feely person. But actually what you've said just then is that there are moments when you need to physically hold people Mm. that actually go beyond whether... I think what I'm trying to say is in that moment, it's not about you as the social worker, actually. It's about what that person in front of you needs. Yes, yeah. Mim, what about you? What were the points in that story that stood out for you? I loved what she said about her nephew and how it made it so much more poignant for her because she was going through a parallel experience. She had a nephew of the similar age and she it transported her to what would have happened if it were him who had actually gone through the gate and into the swimming pool in that moment threw me straight back to my first ever stillborn case in hospital in an emergency department where I was in my early 20s, had uh, one, my first friend was pregnant. You know, that moment where it's not, you don't know lots of people who are pregnant, but your first friend has become pregnant. And there I am in the emergency department and it's a stillborn case. And I remember after it was all over calling my friend and saying, how can you do this? How can you possibly think that you're going to have a baby? Don't you know that the baby could die? Now, I, now I know how inappropriate and probably upsetting it was for my friend, but she took it on the chin and said to me, of course I know, of course I struggle with that, but how can I not be pregnant and have a baby? But these are the things I think that happen with us as social workers that actually we're dealing with everyday life experiences of people. It's the same everyday life, everyday life experiences that we're going to have ourselves. It doesn't stop us being human in the moment. 
but it does mean we have to sit with it and we have to process it in a different way. It makes it that much more meaningful for us, I think. Yeah, well said. <sighs> well, that was an amazing case study to sit with and um, I really want to thank Justin for doing that case study walk with the social worker. It's really good to hear the curious questions that social work students ask. It's the questions that I think we often want to ask as uh, practitioners but don't of each other. So that was really good. But I think one of the realities about this podcast, Liz, as well, is that we are going to have to debrief uh, case studies that we hear that are a bit sad sometimes. Sure. That make us be a bit thoughtful. Um, And the reality as social workers is that we have to do exactly what every social worker out there does. Pull your socks up and get on with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Mim. Let's pull our socks up and get on with it. So in that vein... I think we should finish our podcast, our inaugural first uh, episode of the Social Work Stories podcast. We'd like to really thank our producer, Ben Joseph, for doing such a stellar job with putting this together. And to Justin, our social work student, who did our first case study walk. Uh, And thank you, you, Liz. And thank you, you, Mim. And listen, isn't this episode going somewhere next week? It is. This episode is going to be launched at the Answer Symposium. In Adelaide, next week, are the Australian-New Zealand Social Work Education and Research Symposium. And the, the theme for that symposium, Liz, is disrupting the narrative. And um, in a way, I think that's really uh, important for a theme for us to be launching our podcast at. I think we're, I think we're um, disrupting some secrets, some taboos, some given expectations around social work. And I hope to see lots more of it. Oh, me too. I'll be back. Will you be back? I'll definitely be back. This is a very exciting, comfortable space for us because we love chatting to each other. We do indeed. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everyone. Have a great conference next week. Thank you. See you all on episode two. Go on to your podcast place and subscribe. Thank you for listening to the Social Work Stories podcast. See you next time.